does money define you? Do you know the difference between actually not having enough money and having a fear or thinking that you don't have enough money? How do you choose your niche as a coach or a business owner? What industry to go into? If I had a megaphone, what would I say to the world? Why I'm buying Simpsons toys right now? These questions and more answered on this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Enjoy. What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. So I feel like this is a long time coming. We've been knowing each other for a little over a year now, and it's really, it's really cool how we did meet. Now, we met at Awaken Church Recovery Group, actually. So I feel like we're going to dive into that a little bit here, but it's just, a, it's just amazing seeing what God does and how they, how he brings people into your life, you know? Oh yeah. I remember uh, the night that we met, you went up and you shared uh, very honestly about where you were at. And I was like, dude, don't get in that van. Don't go down to Mexico, press in, do the work, <laughs> let's go. And then I didn't really see you that much between then and when the workshop had finished and I saw you graduation night and you looked like a different person. And I've been through that transform transformative experience as well. So it was really cool to see you lean in and do the work and get the fruit on the other side of it. So uh, absolutely love yeah. stories like that. And, you, and I think you shared that day too, right? Weren't you one of the the presenters more or less or the, the lead speakers? Yeah. Sometimes I either speak or try to host the meetings or at least come up. You know, <laughs> I find that if I'm struggling with something, it's usually a good thing to get on stage and be honest about it. Yeah. Because it's really easy for those things that we're struggling with to build up when we kind of hold it into ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it was such a cool, like, that was such an interesting time in my life because I was, that was when I was debating leaving, as you said a minute ago, going back into the van, <laughs> going down to Baja, you know, just yep. continuing the hippie life. And then uh, one of our mutual friends kind of spoke a word into me to like, get a job, get some structure in your life, get some male friends around you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I decided to do the workshop that that year. That was last January, I believe. And I I entered the workshop because I I had this revelation about how like I was showing up in my relationships, specifically with women and you know close people close to me that I'm supposed to be intimate with. And I found myself repeating these patterns. And I was like, I can't do this alone. And I really really want to be able to have a thriving, beautiful partnership for the rest of my life. So I decided to enter that uh, the Awaken work, Recovery Workshop. And like you said, you met me because we hadn't seen each other much after that initial meeting. Yeah. We spent New Year's that year together, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And then we bumped into each other at graduation. Like you said, like it completely different person. It was like life changing going to that workshop. Amazing. Yeah, it's it's changed my life as well. And 
it's funny you mentioned New Year's. I talk about that date a lot because that was the last day I ever drank alcohol. That, and you were you were the only other man at that table that witnessed yeah. my comment and everything. So it was, it was great because what a miracle to now have almost 15 months or 14 months uh sober from then. Yeah, that's that's amazing that, that was your last that was your last day of drinking alcohol. And it was like one of those moments. It was like, you know. I don't want to necessarily call it a rock bottom moment, but it was like, oh shoot, like I get to change this. I don't want this a part of my life anymore. That's not how I want to show up in my life. Yeah. But uh, can you tell us a little bit about your recovery journey and what brought you into the workshop? Yeah, hundred percent. So I was telling people this last night, actually, because there's a workshop happening now. And when I was about 25, 26, I was working with a therapist and she suggested that I may have some kind of sex or porn addiction. And so I read a bunch of books and I made all these to-do lists on my own strength and my will to try to quit. And I would have different like rules and ceremonies to try to get off of pornography and all this stuff. And, and for years, it just wouldn't work. And I even read uh, a book by one of the nation's experts and I found him. I started working with him. I spent tens of thousands of dollars on coaching, if not more. And after kind of like seven, eight years of, of that journey, I just couldn't stop. And so I kind of like resigned that porn would always be in my life. And thankfully, I had kind of reduced it. And it wasn't something that I normally would look at every day. And I just kind of gave up. And I, and I started to tell myself it wasn't an addiction. It was just something that I did. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh-huh. You know, so anyway, uh, then I came to San Diego and I had some friends of mine invite me to awaken, start going. And the first message I ever heard when I was at Awaken is Pastor Morgan Irvin, mm. who had such a similar life story to me and gave me so much hope. And he talked very openly about his porn addiction and how he got complete freedom from it. And I remember going to a connect group straight from church that day, my first time at Awaken. This was February of 2021. And we kind of broke up, men outside, women inside. And we were talking about like what were your takeaways from the sermon? And I raised my hand in this group of people I'd never met. And I said, uh, you know, Pastor Morgan said, pornography is an illegitimate solution to a legitimate problem. Mm. And that really stuck with me. But more than that, there were so many other people who had complete freedom from pornography, both in the recovery program and even just men and pastors at the church. And I had never seen like so much openness about it. So many people who had true freedom from it. And then, um, and then I started dating someone and she was very involved in the recovery ministry. And so she invited me and I was like, this is perfect. Cause I kind of want to go anyway to look at this porn stuff. And by the time I even got there, there was just so much momentum and positive energy. And I just got to emerge, which is our church's uh, big men's conference once a year camping event. And between all that stuff and telling so many people about it and having so much attention and kind of life spoken over me on it it was over by like the first day I even got to recovery. I was already porn free. I was like 17 days, but it just every day got easier and easier. And then mm. just over time, you know, again, spending more time, focus, attention, prioritizing it. Um, there's also this funny thing where like, I always wanted people's approval and I was getting a lot of approval through my sobriety. I had to work that out, you know, afterwards, but it's still, there was like some motivation there with so much positive kind of attention and energy on it. And then quitting masturbation was a, a separate funny story of how I did that. But that was kind of initially how I came to recovery and, and quit porn. 
Wow. And thank you so much for sharing that. And I, I love that you kind of, you wear this like on your sleeve, like, Hey, I had this problem and, and that inspires people along the way. And like being vulnerable, like you have been is like arguably like the most courageous thing that you could do. You know, yeah, my pleasure. I, I love it. it. It's like people come up to you all the time and they're like, I can't believe you're so I'm like, dude, what do I have to hide? You know, but right. I, I'm happy to keep doing it because it really is something I've never seen so many people. Not only is it one of the biggest addictions out there, um, but it's also one of the most secretive ones. Like you can't really hide being an alcoholic. You can't really hide having a substance abuse problem, but you can hide a porn addiction or even be addicted to porn and not even know it's an addiction right? for your entire life. It's such a behind closed doors thing. It doesn't cost any money. It's really easy to kind of do it, you know, very privately. So uh, when, especially men hear me, but I've had women come up to me too within yeah. the past month even and say, thank you for naming it. It's something that I've been dealing with. I didn't know it was a thing. Thank you for normalizing it. So I, I, I like, I like doing it and, and getting those stories. Yeah. And like, I'm glad you brought up women too, because I was sharing this. One of my friends, mentors, uh, businessman, she's, she's amazing, had shared with me that she had a porn uh, challenge. Right. And I'm like, whoa. That blew my mind, you know, and sometimes we forget like this affects everybody. And to your point, like it's free. So many people like I got introduced to it when I was probably like eight years old. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was like oh, we wow. had. Yeah, it was a, it was a long journey with that. And like that's still something that, you know. I'm still navigating. Mm -hmm. I don't do it nearly as much as I used to, but it's just like it's there. You know what I mean? Because right now I'm on like a, a celibacy train right now where I'm waiting for the right person kind of thing. And so when you're doing that, it's like, oh, man, to, to your point, what Morgan said, it's an illegitimate, illegitimate solution to a legitimate problem. Right. So what would your advice be to someone who like who knows it's a problem, who is like trying to rid it, like get rid of this of their life? Like. What would your advice be or what was the catalyst for you that really changed everything? I would say the two things that really changed it for me were first kind of naming it and coming to the open about it. So whether, and, and that doesn't mean like go tell your most judgmental friends and your boss and your, you know, and like a partner, <laughs> right. But, you know, cause you can kind of be overly transparent, but you know, a, a safe, you know, a safe person, your, your best friend who's very sort of unconditionally loving and supportive or, mm. you know, a trusted therapist that you've been working with for a while, like something like just to kind of name it and put it out there was a really good first step for me. But what really helped me get freedom from it was, a really powerful um, program and people who kind of supported me through it, led by strong, healthy leaders who had real freedom from it. Um, and because, for example, my friend Mark has been free from pornography for, I think, nine years. Mm. And it, that's a big deal for him. Like he takes his porn sobriety very seriously. And even last Monday night, I was at the meeting in San Marcos for Awaken Recovery in person. And he was, we were talking about it. We were sitting around and he was like, man, I cannot believe you. You're almost two years in April. And I was like, wow. Yeah. That actually, that, that fires me up. That keeps me sober. Uh, yeah, those yeah. reminders, because it is an amazing thing. And I'm so grateful that has happened through me. Um, but, but the other thing that really got it done for me was when you go through the 12 steps, the, the step three is all about surrender, 
right? Turning it mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. And and for so long, my porn battle was me versus porn, right? Me versus the devil, me versus the hard thing. And, right. and just no matter how good I am, I'm not going to win that battle because that's what recovery is. It's admitting that we're powerless. That's step one. Mm. So what I had to do was invite in a process where I can lay it down and actually not have to fight the battle, but just surrender the battle and let it go. And that might be like very hard to kind of understand logically right now, but if you go through the steps and you go through the process, it's an experience that you can have because I remember, and I've tried everything when I was trying, I had spreadsheets, I had apps, I had software blockers. You know, to give every software blocker, then you go and you buy a new computer. It's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, you know, or like I would spend like an hour, like coding the back end of my computer to block it. And then I'd spend another hour or two in the morning, like undoing everything. So that the website would pass through. It's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, that yeah. stuff doesn't work. Cause it's all right. on your own strength. And I remember right. a nice guy, a friend of mine came up to me one time dealing with porn challenges and he said, Hey, Brandon, you know, I really, I figured it out. I'm, you know, one day clean. And I was like, yeah, cool. How'd you do it? He's like, well, I have this uh, thing on my computer. And it, I, every time I, you know, don't look, I put a checkbox in for the, and I'm like, yeah, man, like I did that too. Like call me in two months when you're still looking at porn and we can talk about like a real process. Right. And that's where you kind of see who's really willing to lean in. Cause when I invite people to recovery meetings or the workshop, you see who's ready to play full out and kind of get it handled versus who's just kind of maybe not ready yet or doesn't really want that freedom. Yeah, totally. And I just want to like, and and I love that too. You know, it's an invitation and right. And at the end of the day, there is a surrender aspect to it. And um, I just want to like backtrack a second. Like I began this journey of like trying to put a stop to it about two, three years ago. And like, I'm maybe like a handful of times since then, but you know, that's not, that's not good enough in my eyes. Right. So something that I learned in recovery, which I really loved was somebody said this to me. And a lot of times when it comes to recovery, stopping something, um, we tend to focus so much on the stopping of doing the act Mm -hmm. instead of starting to do something else. Yeah. So asking yourself, why am I doing this? And what can I do instead to fulfill that need? Right. Oh yeah. I mean, there's a Tony Robbins talks about positive addictions and, Mm. and, and the human needs framework that he teaches where, you know, anytime any behavior meets three or more of the top six human needs, it's, it's an addiction, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, you know, people get really into their business or their work, right. It's a pot, you know, cause you have certainty, uncertainty, growth, service, right. So that's not necessarily a bad thing, but when it's pornography, right, there could be, you know, obviously a lot of uncertainty, a lot of certainty in how you'll feel, significance, feeling powerful, um, mm. right? you know, so there's, you meet the connection, even kind of like false connection, but you still feel it a little bit. So what I taught, and I talked to Mark a lot from recovery uh, about this is, this is why we go surfing. Mm. You know, we go surfing because yeah. we need all the same needs. And, you know, I think he would say this for himself, but I certainly would for me. I'm a recovering chaos creator, uh, emotional highs and lows, ups and downs. So, so I need, I need, you know, those hits and that buzz and something fresh, but I know that if I go and do that through drinking or porn, there will be a lot of negative consequences in my life. So how else can I get those needs met? My business, surfing, community, tennis, flying, right? Travel. Like what does that look like? 
for you or for the listeners that they can start to replace it with because typically porn is kind of a cover up for like, I don't like my life. I don't like what's going on. So I'm gonna go to porn. Once you remove porn, then it's like, all right, let me actually rebuild everything in a way that makes me happy. And I don't have to go to porn. Mm, absolutely. And like, uh, once you eliminate it, like that initial, <laughs> it's like a freaking high when you stop doing it. It's actually pretty crazy. And mm -hmm. I feel like this is a good uh, kind of segue into what we were talking about before we started recording, right? Is like finding that that play, mm -hmm. that inner child, right? Like that instead of, so for you, that's been surfing, right? So I would love to like touch on this and like what you've been doing to to find more fulfillment for more joy to replace all of that. Yeah. So I'm curious what you think about this because I feel like it's good, but I'm also open to feedback. Lately, what I've been really getting into is thinking about what from my childhood brought me a lot of joy mm. and kind of having some of those recreation experiences. So when I was young, I was really into technology. I was really into uh, tech, computers, just kind of gadgets, technology in general, one. Two, I was really into video games. And three, I was really into The Simpsons, the TV show. Mm, and so, you know, part of my trauma was with all the divorces that were happening when I was a kid, you know, my mom uh, left my dad, my stepdad, they got divorced, they got remarried, they got divorced again, physical, emotional, sexual abuse in the household. And so all my stuff got lost, like all my favorite video games, all my Simpsons toys, like all these, all the technology, even a surfboard I had. And so that's fine. Like I've done my processing and I've forgiven everyone and I have good relationships with my family now. But lately, you know, one of the traps that I got caught into was I built this coaching business and it got big and I was making all this money and I was kind of miserable. So I had to take a step back and restructure the business in a way where I'm not doing all the work and I'm like leveraging that money for philanthropy and for good things for myself. And so lately I bought, the first thing I did was I bought a PlayStation 5. Okay. And I got all my favorite games from a kid, like the most recent versions of it. So like the fighting games that I like, Virtua Fighter, and I got FIFA, and I got all the game, like fighting games, all the games I like. Then I got, uh, this is really fun. I got an original Nintendo system, NES, nice. <laughs> which was my first ever one, you know, Super Mario 3. Uh, I got a Dreamcast, which I think is my favorite because it's got NFL Blitz and Crazy Taxi, which plays the Offspring songs when you drive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then also I was at this store because, again, I'm just really trying to have fun. So a lot of times now what I do is I just get in my car and I drive and I just look for things that could be cool. And so I was at this place called Book Off, which is this Japanese company. They have a store in San Diego, used books, used video games. That's kind of got me into the video games a little bit. And then they had these little Simpsons uh, action figures. And so I bought a couple of them and it took me down memory lane that I used to have the Simpsons comic books. And I used to be really into the show and I'm just doing all this stuff. That's really fun. And I know that now I can buy a bunch of these things and engage with them and they're not going to be taken from me. It's going to be a different experience this time around. Um, and I'm doing just stuff that makes me happy and I'm not putting labels on it. And I'm also obviously trying to continue to be of service and, and make my mission the primary, but I think it's really interesting. Like what was holding me back from having fun doing things that make me happy and just keeping it very simple and saying, I'm allowed to enjoy my life and really look mm -hmm. at, you know, what was holding me back from that. Mm -hmm. So what's your question? Is it more so like, 
is this too much? Like what's, what's the, the feedback you're looking for? No, I guess it's just funny that I'm like, you know, in my thirties and I'm like I'm buying Simpsons. <laughs> Dude, I'm all for this stuff. Yeah. I'm yeah. all for this stuff. But, but like, but I think it's like, it's, it's just more about kind of in my, like, cause anything can be good and anything can be bad. And just, I'm keeping a pulse on it and saying, Hey, I'm having fun, making sure all my priorities are aligned. I'm working out. I'm engaging with my community. Uh, with God, you know, with my business in healthy ways. And it's just been really fun and kind of on the technology side of it too. Like, you know, we just put in a standing desk right here. Uh, yes. We got the work with the, the treadmill desk downstairs and kind of, I got electric uh, voice activated blinds now in the bedroom. So just having fun with a lot of these different things. I think where it can get a little out of line is when I can be like, I used to be a workaholic, so I can get a little bit too much into stuff and then kind of get overtired and kind of try to push too hard with my different projects. But as long yeah. as I kind of keep a pulse on that, I do think it's, uh, it's good. I think, no, I think, I think you're on the right track here. I would just, like you said, keep your finger on the pulse. Like if it becomes like where other things are being sacrificed in a bad way, because too much of anything can be quote unquote bad if you want to put a label on it but i love this i love what you're doing and so, there was a crazy stat i don't know if how accurate it was but like something like 20 to 30 percent of children's toys are bought by adults <laughs> for that yeah, to man. get to get tapped back into the inner child and i love this because that's something that um i'm working on myself is how can i bring play back into my life right. so if that's video games for you you know maybe just See, I think that it's interesting. I was about to be like schedule it, but then that's not really childlike. That's very, that's like rigid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you know, there's got to be some spontaneity if you're going to be a child. <laughs> that's, right. I think that's the whole point. Um, but yeah, I would just being like being aware of it. If if other parts of your life are suffering for your basic human needs, then maybe you need to acknowledge it, take ownership, and then be like, okay, maybe I could shift this a little bit. Right. But I love the fact that you're doing this, that you're getting all the old game. I'm a big Simpsons fan myself, so I'm with you on that. Go, man. Yeah, but I, I just think it's I think it's been a good exercise for me to kind of acknowledge that I came from New York City area. That's where I grew up, working in finance, working in law. And that, you know, the way to define kind of a successful life can be very different. And my right. evolution of that definition has changed where success for me isn't just marketplace. And so mm, I mean, mm -hmm. and, and it's funny because when I moved into my house, I actually hear my neighbors now, I saw like the, the lifestyles that they had, you know, the family emphasis and the time off. And that's also been something that's inspired me both to just kind of have more fun, delegate more in my business and do some of these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I would say continue, continue finding play in your life, finding joy. But I like how you brought that up because success to one per success is relative, right? Mm -hmm. Success to me and success to you could be wildly different things. Yeah. So that means you're enjoying yourself playing some Simpsons games, Simpsons Road Rage. Yeah, man. <laughs> Dude, I want to get that game. I need to get like a PlayStation 2 for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, man. And, and you brought up something uh, a second ago talking about like, you know, delegating and your business and I would love to kind of hear more about what you do uh, because, you know, you're, you're a testament to like going from, you know, porn addict to like thriving entrepreneurs. So I would love to, to grab some, just a little bit of your story on that. Yeah. hundred percent. So when I was, I guess you call it 10 years ago, I was in a relationship and I was in my business, uh, my career in investment banking. 
and I thought I had my whole life all figured out. And it's like, right when you think that you're done is when everything can explode sometimes, yeah. especially if you don't have that kind of awareness and it's not rooted foundationally in like the truth of who you are and your mission. And so I kind of was rocked by losing the job and the relationship. And that pushed me to actually the self-help section in Barnes and Noble. Mm. And I started reading all these books on personal development. I started contacting the authors, started getting therapy, coaching, and really got super into it. Cause I had always had this vision of like being a business owner, living anywhere in the world. Cause I saw so many drones, honestly, in New York, like wearing the suit, going through the motions. Right. And I was like, why couldn't I live in Hawaii on a beach and work two hours a day? Like, why not? Yeah. It's a mindset more than anything else. Like the permission and the reality that it can be done. And I remember I went to a Tony Robbins event in 2016, kind of as I was walking out some of this work. And I remember meeting this guy and he was just like, his mindset was so dialed in. He was so upbeat. He was there with his family. They lived in Hawaii. He was a business owner. So many people there were business owners. And I was just like, yeah, I worked for a guy who was a great person, but he was very old school. He was very much like sit at the desk. And it's funny because the last couple, the last week, especially I'm like checking my email all the time, my Slack. I'm like looking for things that I, problems that I can solve in my business or work that I can do. And it's just not there, you know, thank God and knock on wood. Like I have a fantastic team now. A lot of stuff's automated. I have a coach who fulfills most of the coaching. I have a sales guy who does all the calls pretty much. And so that guilt that like New York city, like you need to be stressed out to be successful mindset. I've been breaking that off. And so went to the Tony Robbins event, continued to get into personal development. And then I realized, cause I'd been kind of searching for what business would I do? I always wanted passive income, freedom, laptop lifestyle, run it from anywhere, delegate the, you know, the famous Tim Ferriss quote, get paid in dollars, pay your employees in rupees, spend your money in pesos. <laughs> I never heard so that like, one. Yeah. So I was like, I've been wanting that through something and my background was finance. So I thought maybe I'd start up some kind of investing firm and I just never met the right business partner. I never kind of took that step I needed to take. And then eventually this coaching wave just kind of continued to be so powerful in my life that I realized one day, like, this is, this is the thing for me. And so I started a small one-on-one -on -one coaching practice out of my apartment in New York, doing zoom calls, starting with a small podcast, small Instagram account. And then over, you know, five, six, seven years, it's had many uh, iterations of it where I was at one point coaching some ex NFL players. I was coaching some small business owners and eventually starting to slowly build a team. And then it was kind of in 2020, 2021, when I realized like, all right, I actually would like to scale this more predictably to be able to create clients on demand, to be able to have a team scalability. And so I went down to, um, to Panama and Guatemala alone for like a funnel weekend. And I just kind of sat in a room and mapped out like, what would it look like? Who would I help? And I came back and I was like, you know what? I love helping coaches. I love helping yeah. digital entrepreneurs. It's something I'm not perfect at. And I've stumbled along the way, but I'm at a point now where we have like, you know, hundred, 200 K a month coaching business. I got the podcast. We got a lot of stuff dialed in. And it just made sense that this is something that I'm passionate about for myself that I can really help people with. And so that's kind of become the core. But the cool thing is I was really a life coach before I did the business coaching. And so mm. the reason why I think our program is really good 
is because we don't just say like, here's your sales script. Here's how to do ads. Like we really do the mindset and the life coaching underneath all of that stuff. Right. Cause you can give people the tactics, but it's like, you know, their rejection trauma from when they were six and their mom said something to them could be the reason they can't close deals. So right. we really get into that type of work, which is fun. And, um, so yeah, now we have, uh, mostly business coaching for coaches, digital nomads, entrepreneurs, podcasters, and the like is who we mostly help. Amen. I love that. And you're, you're so right too, about like the trauma and like, like stuff from your childhood blocking you, preventing you from success. And a lot of times, like, you know, a lot of times being in the, cause I was a health coach before I transitioned into sales coaching. So I'm a sales trainer now, you know, you talked about that. And, um, a lot of times we get caught up so much in the niche, <laughs> like who am I going to target? Right. Where you, people are wasting thousands of dollars because they don't know who to target and they just obsess over this is like, okay, I need to, my, a lot of times the medicine isn't really going to change. It's how you wrap your offering, right? So you you can have the, the child trauma stuff in business coaching. You know, like you start out life coaching and there's gonna be elements of your life coaching in your business coaching. It may be like a bonus module or something like that. But am I am I right in that in saying that? Oh, I totally agree. I feel like at the end of the day, the psychology is 80% and the tactics are 20. And if you go to any type of, you know, good speaker, whether it's uh, Tony Robbins or church or, you know, something where it's powerful and, and it's going to drive results. You'll see that whether the problem is a relationship, a personal life issue, or a business issue, the root of it is almost always the same. It's something about, you know, unlovability, lack of confidence, lack of love, lack of power, personal power, assertiveness, healthy masculine energy, healthy feminine energy. It's one of these things typically is kind of the root because people do need tactics. Like they need to know if someone's trying to scale an online business and they, you know, have no idea how to run a Facebook ad or YouTube ad, like, okay, I got to teach you that. But if I have 10 clients that come through my door that I'm going to coach and I give them the same blueprint, maybe one or two of them takes the tactics and then comes back and is like, Hey, I closed the deal for 10 K closed the deal for 20 K I'm gonna make hundred K this month. Thank you. Right. That's like one out of 10 or maybe even less. Honestly, the reality yeah, is you yeah. give them the blueprint and then they come back and you're like, okay, where did the thing break down? And then that's where you kind of get into the mindset coaching. Like we have clients where some of them um, just can't, like can't do a sales call yet. Obviously it can be learned and we have to teach them kind of like not just how to do it, but the mindset and the beliefs holding them back or marketing is another area where people get stuck where they hate kind of putting themselves out there or marketing, right? So these are the areas where obviously we can teach people the strategies that work, but for a lot of people, there can be a lot of resistance or frustration or feeling jaded or something where we kind of need to unpack it on a deeper level. And that's where we like to yeah. get a lot of one-on-one -on -one support and mindset coaching and these types of things. Because unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, it's good to do the work. It's not enough. You got to kind of get in there and figure out what's the real thing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm loving you're talking about this too, by the way, I'd be very curious your thoughts because you know, the worthiness is probably a big one that people oh, yeah. deal with a lot. And uh, like the money mindset where people are keep getting the money objection and they're running off the phone basically. Yep. Uh, and money is typically a smoke screen unless you're literally broke. <laughs> so like yeah. Yeah. talk to me a little bit about money mindset and what, what you've practiced and what you recommend for people. 
you know, it's funny. Uh, one of my old mentors used to say to me, Brendan, if you're selling your coaching to someone and they say that uh, they don't have the money, it's one of two things. They're either lying or they're lying. <laughs> and it's so true. You know, I've seen people, uh, there was this woman who was uh, suicidal and she basically had a plan. Like, she's like, this is the day, this is the time, this is how I'm going to do it. And then someone said, hold on, before you do it, go to this guy, go see this guy, Tony Robbins, go to his events in Florida. He could change your life. So, I mean, you're going to give up anyway. You might as well try this last resort. Yeah. He's like, well, I can't afford it. It's $6,000 to go to. The... And the friend was like, well, you're going to kill yourself anyway. You have $6,000 worth of furniture. Like go sell your furniture. Yeah. Right? She didn't have the cash. So she sells all her stuff. She gets to Florida. She goes to the event. Tony comes out on the Saturday night for the suicide interventions. And he says, raise your hand if you're suicidal. And, and a bunch of people raise their hand. He's like, not if you've thought about killing yourself, not if it's an idea, like raise your hand. If you're ready to go, you're on the brink. Like you're thinking about doing it right now, today, tomorrow. She raises her hand, comes up to her, spends a couple hours with her, goes super deep, heals a lot of her trauma. Um, pours a ton of love on her, brings kind of all 4,000 people in the room. This is in the documentary, I'm Not Your Guru, if you haven't seen Oh, it. is this the one you're talking about? Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, all that stuff. And then uh, he puts her through his coaching program for free so she can become a coach. Um, a, a guy from Brazil, she was Brazilian, a guy from Brazil comes up to her after and says, here's $100,000 to write your book, right? And so in the moment like that, the entire, the whole life changed right there. So, uh, yeah, it's just interesting, like what obviously going deeper can do in that capacity. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. <laughs> they're either lying or they're lying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So to bring it back to the pricing, right. For her, you know, she found a way to make it work. And I'm not saying listeners go sell your furniture, um, and buy my coaching. Right? We don't, <laughs> that's like a ridiculous last resort situation for someone with an extreme, uh, challenging situation. But yeah, obviously most people I would say when they clam up around kind of the money conversation, because they either have challenges with assertiveness, rejection, confrontational, crucial conversations, and they feel uncomfortable and they want to avoid those emotions that come up for them, or they don't see their value or the value of the program or process they're teaching. So when someone challenges that they believe the other person, right? Mm. Like if you told me, Hey, Brendan, you're so weird. Like you have green hair. I'm going to say it's not green. Like, I know it's not. So that's easy. So I won't be like, if you say that, I'm not going to get upset. But if you say to me, Brendan, that's ridiculous. You're charging $5,000 for coaching. Like that's not worth it. First of all, how do you like, how would you even know whether or not it's worth it? You don't, you haven't gone through the experience, but let's say I doubted the value of the experience and I didn't think it was very good. And you start calling it out and be like, well, you know, that's so much money. And is it really going to help me? Blah, blah, blah. And if I doubt it, then I'm going to buy into your belief and your frame that it's not worth it. And of course, I'm not going to get you signed up. So yeah, some for some people, just like seeing their own value, seeing the value of the program, understanding that there is a difference. Like you can, if you want, like buy into some false stories about your own value. But the right. reality is like a lot of coaches think they're selling themselves when they're typically selling some kind of process, either a coaching or consulting process that's not actually them. So you do often see a confusion of personal worth for services being sold, which is another part of it. 
but yeah, I mean, I, I even, I used to, uh, I had to do some work to kind of get comfortable with the discomfort after the price drop. And I had a call with this guy this past week for a renewal existing client. And it was funny because it was one of those situations where I price dropped it and I put it all out there. And there was like a long kind of intense silence, which I'm pretty much immune to at this point. But yeah. even for me, I was like, whoa, this is, yeah, this is a little uncomfortable. Just kind of sit here and you can't <laughs> say anything. got to just let it be. Yeah. Uh, so it's funny to have that experience because that used to definitely be challenging for me. And it's still something, obviously, a lot of people need support navigating. But um, yeah, if you can kind of get used to it and just kind of see your value and get right. confidence around it, ultimately, it's it becomes less and less of an issue. Yeah, totally. And uh, and thanks for the feedback on that. Now, when I was a I was a closer for Tony Robbins, Dean Graziosi, um, and you know I started out as an outbound setter, and then I quickly rose to closer, and then quickly rose to number one. And it was just really interesting because when I first started closing, I would struggle. I would get I would get the f off the phone <laughs> as soon <laughs> as they gave me shit about the money. Right. And so then my my men my mentor manager at the time was just like. Jeremy, you're, you're, you're having trouble qualifying people. Like you're, you, I, I could tell you're uncomfortable in this conversation. So what I would invite you to do is to look at your relationship with money mm, yeah. and, and that that's so powerful and it's so huge. Cause at that time, like I, I didn't really have much money. You know what I mean? I was like oh, yeah. very, and there's a, there's the quote unquote poverty spirit that's you know generationally in in my family you know what i mean like oh like money doesn't grow on trees like can't do that like get a get a job like what are you doing you're being an entrepreneur again <laughs> you know what i mean and it's just <laughs> like that's that's ingrained in us not even by parents but even before that you know and that's something that we get to all shift because we all are all worthy we're all miracles you know what i mean that's good. Yeah. It's, it's funny. We have people who come into the program and, and it's interesting how people buy is how they sell. Right. So I know that the harder the, the enrollment conversation is for me, my dog's over here, um, the, <laughs> the harder it's going to be for them to sell. Like for people who kind of freely take out their wallet, they sign up, they pay in full, you know, that they're already kind of in their mind. They have some kind of belief that this is okay. This is something people do. This is normal. And then when they go and pitch their services, you're going to see them collect a lot of cash, then have a lot more success. The people who need four sales calls and want to break it down month to month and what's the least amount, but fine. Yeah. I mean, if that's what it takes to get you in the program so we can help you, we'll make adjustments and customizations, but just know that like, okay, now I have to know going in, this, this person's probably going to need some extra support to even believe that, that this is possible. But also we did a group call recently where a, a guy in the group actually made a good point, which is when, if you don't believe that people will pay for coaching, just look in the mirror, right? If someone's in my program, they've put some money down, they're getting some support, obviously a lot of support, and they've been willing to take out their credit card and make a real, real investment. So if they have a mindset of like, nobody will do this, it's like, well, you've done it. Yeah. You know, and that's why everyone should go buy coaching, especially coaches, obviously. So you can kind of like get a good example that people will do this and it's good and okay to do that. That's really good. That's really good. Yeah, because sometimes we can go into the sometimes we can go into the the fear based um, approach of a sales call. Like, oh, they're not gonna do it. They, I could just tell they're gonna have a money problem. And it's like, well, dude, why don't you just back up a second, look in the mirror. You invested, and so people are willing to invest, right? You just have to connect, 
right? And show the value. Yeah. hundred percent, man. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's funny. Like, again, thinking about all the patterns that you have to look at for why people will or won't invest. And, you know, a lot of it also has to do with fear, right? Mm. Like what's your relationship. And, and this kind of comes into philanthropy and tithing even because before, I would say 2021, I had never really given anything to charity or church or donations. And then once I started with these like, you know, low four and then multiple four figure tithes, that really opened something up for me. Yeah. Um, the way I kind of held on to money. And even when I went through the recovery program, you know, there's something called financial sobriety where I had to look at, you know, was I downloading movies illegally at any point in my life? Was I you know, what corners were mm, cutting? There's yeah. a crazy story that I share where um, I messed up my car on my garage and I didn't have collision insurance. And I went to this garage to repair it. And he's like, yeah, dude, it's gonna be like four or five grand, but just call your company, get some new collision insurance. We can switch up the dates. And I was like, I was thinking about doing it, honestly. Mm. And that was the turning point of like, I was thinking about doing it. And I, that was at the same point where I joined the recovery program. And it's funny because when I went through recovery, you know, I thought I was joining it obviously for porn, but that was kind of like broken off before I even got in there. Right. What really recovery was for me was doing the amends with my family, learning how to make amends with people in real time. And then also uh, this financial sobriety of thinking about and going back to people and situations where I felt like I had wronged them. And, you know, obviously I didn't, it, it's funny because had I done what the guy was recommending I do, it would have been like a thousand bucks out of pocket to fix the car and the rest would have been through the insurance. Obviously, not only did I choose not to do that, but now I have kind of a totally different set of principles when it comes to money and finances and ethics and everything, thanks to the workshop and the recovery program. Yeah. But also I met a guy through a mutual friend who owned a shop and he goes to Awaken and he's like, yeah, man, I'll fix it up. No problem. Thousand bucks. <laughs> That's amazing. And it's like, that's what happens when you do the right thing, you know? Yeah. Let me get his number. Yeah. Hey, that's good. That's good. Like, are you living in integrity? Like you do the work. Are you embodying your philosophy? Everything you've learned all like, that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? Are you living a wise life? You know? And that's so interesting. I love that you said that. Like you go in for one thing, you get something completely else. (laughs) It's really cool how that works. Um, yeah, I just had a couple more questions for you while we wrap up here. Um, so any like advice for the young entrepreneur wanting to start an online business? Yeah, that's such a good question. Uh, I was recently on Cody Cottle's podcast, our mutual friend, and we were talking about if you were to start over, he said, Brent, if you were going to start from scratch today, how would you do it differently? Because a lot of times you have kind of like stuff that's built up. So you just kind of follow things you're already doing, but would you actually do a lot of that if you were starting over? And there's a lot that I would definitely do differently knowing what I know now. So, I mean, a couple of things I would say for sure. One, I heard this from Grant Cardone. He says, don't set goals based on money. You know, a lot of people are like, I want to make 10K a month. I want to make 50, I want to make a hundred. And he said, well, why do you want to make a hundred K a month? Oh, cause then I'll have enough money to uh, retire and then I'll do what I love, which is like write children's books or whatever. And then they spend like, they go on like a seven to 10 year journey to scale a seven figure company and then start over with, you know, like maybe some slight additional resources that aren't fully necessary. And they could spend that 10 years doing the thing that they want anyway. 
So sometimes kind of that passion business can actually turn into a job too, if you're not careful. Yeah. And so making sure there's real alignment with whatever this thing is and your deepest calling, mission, service, who you are, what you're put here for. Um, and then hmm, I guess it really depends too, kind of on like, I would say also do set it up in a way that makes you happy, not in a way where you think it'll be successful. That's probably a good one. Like a lot of people even choose their niche based on what they think will make them money also. Mm, mm-hmm. So like, I see a lot of people who, you know, we have a client right now, awesome guy. And I think his passion is really to coach teenagers and young adults who are about to go to college on kind of finding their purpose and their calling as they step into the next chapter of their life. Mm. And he's like, but Brendan, I think I should really just be an executive coach. There's more money in that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, there's money in everything. And there's going to be more money for you in following that thing. That's really going to be the right thing for you specifically that you're gifted in that you're talented. Like he said, he had a conversation with this girl in high school and she was crying and like going to change like where she goes to college and all this stuff. And I was like, dude, follow that. Yeah. You know, follow that. What lights you up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that's great. And then a kind of a practical thing that I would say too, is I think a lot of people are very focused on kind of sales, then marketing, then their offer, right? Like how do I close deals? How do I get more leads? And then kind of coaching is like the last thing sometimes people think about. I really try to run it in the opposite direction where um, I try to make my product so strong that we can just consistently even grow from seven to multiple seven figures, just on referrals, just on brand, just on equity of what we're doing, how we're helping people. So you just make the product amazing. That's a great, um, great way to great place to focus. Then secondly, do marketing, but do marketing from a place of adding value as opposed to like sales based marketing. Like so many people, even that we help, like the coaches we coach are like, okay, Brandon, I need your help with marketing and getting myself out there. And like, here's my, um, you know, here, here's like my Instagram post. And it's like, I'm Brandon Burns and I'm a coach. Like, that's not how you want to market, right? You want to be adding value. And, and you know this, right? Through you have a podcast and, you know, how you post content, but really kind of just like being a person that other people see themselves in that's not active. Right. Yet. Mm-hmm. So for example, 2017, I'm out of my day job. I'm traveling all over the world. I'm in uh, Myanmar, uh, Australia, Portugal, Japan, South Korea, uh, Malaysia. Like, you know, I was like walking around in Johor Bahru and, and I'm like, what's up guys. I'm here in uh, JB. It's the second biggest city in Malaysia. Um, I read online to be careful. Guys will come up to you with syringes on the street and say it has AIDS in it. If you don't give them all your money, I think that's BS. I'm going to call their bluff today. I'm like, like just crazy. It's like just having fun. Like, you know, and, and what people were doing was like a lot of my friends from law school and business school and undergrad were all watching this and were like, oh my God, like I want to be doing this. You know, I, I had this guy who was like younger than me and he was running ads for uh, Ty Lopez and Grant Cardone. And, and, and like, I thought he was the coolest guy in the world. I was like, dude, this guy's like in his twenties and he drives a Maserati and he's a college dropout and he's making way more money than me. And he's super cool. And he would come to me with like a twinkle in his eyes and be like, Brent, so when's your next trip? Like, <laughs> I was just even more, I think, uh, walking in alignment with kind of who he wanted to be and who he was like wanting to ultimately be in alignment with. And so uh, that type of marketing really works. 
and I even said this to a client on our group call yesterday, you know, she's like pulling in a lot of these VPs and very corporate types that are kind of like, well, what's your qualification to help me? And I'm like, first of all, do you even want to coach those types of people? <laughs> yeah, second, yeah. Like, how could you kind of just be more authentic to who you are in your content? Because that authenticity will definitely rub a lot of people the wrong way. And those are great people that are just highly encouraged to unsubscribe and unfollow and just kind of sweep them out. But really when you show up authentically, which I know for you has been going deep and sharing your health and wellness journey and some of these other things, you're just going to call in the people where what you're saying makes so much sense that there's such a trust and a relationship that they're just going to sign up for whatever it is. Cause they just want to be more like you and have this type of life and they're not going to get hung up on pricing or the offer or the stuff. And that's where kind of sales falls into the third bucket instead of the first. Right. Which is, you really just want people like, obviously when you were closing for Dean and Tony, you know, there's some people I'm sure that like would be more challenging on the calls, but other people that have been following Tony Robbins since 1980 or they yeah. know <laughs> real estate yeah. stuff for 20 years. And so it's like, there's just such goodwill and equity there that you kind of, you can just stay on script and not really have to objection handle much and you just get people signed up. Yeah, totally. And I, I love that, you know, the, that you're, you're hitting all the angles of content, you're adding value, you're connecting, you're showing authenticity, you're showing your character side, right? And then so for me, uh, what I was doing before when I was a health coach was I was focusing so much on character and, and sales. So I would be like making people laugh and then asking for their money. <laughs> so I wasn't, I was adding zero value. Yeah. You know? So no, that's, that's great feedback, man. And um, just a couple quick fun questions before we go. Yeah, dude, we, we don't have to stop right at 1130. So go for oh, it. Okay. Okay. I just yeah. wanted to honor your time, you know? Yeah, dude. Um, But yeah, so that, I, I love the vulnerability piece, especially when it comes to, comes to work. And I know our mutual friend, Cody, I just had Cody on the show yesterday. Uh, that that's his whole that's his whole business, his personal brand, right? Like you look at people buy you, they buy a result, they buy a state, right? That that state that they want. And sometimes, and I love what your your advice on um, the goal, not making it a monetary goal. So for me, my goal is just being so fully embodied, unconditional love for myself and just having like an inner peace, you know? And like your your outer environment is, is going to reflect your inner environment. So I imagine when that happens, I mean, it's happening now. The monetary goals, the business goals, the the entrepreneurship, the, the family goals, that's all going to fall in line. So, oh, yeah. Uh, I remember when I first started to hit 30, 40K a month in my business, it was because I was surfing more. What I did was I set up my LinkedIn. You know, we teach on LinkedIn part of our program, how to get book a lot of calls. So I, I fired up our LinkedIn account. We were booking a lot of calls with people who needed our help. And then I hired this woman, Shannon, who's still amazing part of our team, you know, probably two years later. And I would just say, Hey, Shannon, take all these calls. I'm going to go. And it'd be like noon. And I would like, be like, I have like a hour window. I'm going to like go jet out and surf. And I would go surf and I'd come back and get all these calls. And she'd be like, Hey, Brendan, like David's in, but like, here's his credit card, like a picture of his credit card text. Can you run <laughs> yeah. this? And I was like, okay. And I like run in. I was having so much fun, you know, cause I didn't let the business and the KPIs and the numbers own me. It was mm. all just gravy. It was like, oh my, I don't need this money. I'm going to give a lot of it back away, you know, reinvest into my business, into the podcast. Like we spend money on my podcast in India and in the Philippines. You know, we send iPads, hoodies, stuff. We just like that. I'm not gonna make money off of it. But like, boom, like I love, 
doing that's stuff that's awesome like that. yeah. yeah and so it's but it was just so fun like the more fun i was having i'm like you know in my wetsuit like actually this one client we had she was awesome she had a day job so and we had to run a credit card uh that she had like she had to pay on a different card or something and so i brought my computer i think it was after i went surfing um, I get back in the car, I got the wetsuit on, got my computer, my phone is set up as the internet for the computer. And she's like reading me the credit card and I'm like running it in the car with the surfboard on top. And I was just like, yes, this is, <laughs> that's an alignment. And if you can yeah. set up that type of alignment in your business where it's fun and it's got the vision that you ha always had for it, you don't need to kind of do it the way you think you need to, or the way other people tell you you're supposed to. Like even one of my, um, my business coaches, he's great. And he's very kind of serious and aggressive and kind of has a different personality. And I thought there was like a few months where I thought I needed to be like that to be successful. And what I realized was you just got to be more of yourself and then mm. maybe apply some of his principles that are allowing him to be successful, but you don't need to just kind of copy him and how he shows up. Mm. So good. So good. I call an aligned, I say it's the three pillars of belief to, to like when you talk about an aligned offer, right? If you imagine, um, a Venn diagram, right? Belief in yourself, that seems pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. Belief in the product, and then belief in the customer. And then when you when you have all th those three dialed in, that's when you have alignment in your business and your offering. And like the big thing that shifted for me was belief in the customer. Like legitimately expressing that you believe that they can succeed. Like, because a lot of times the people on the other side of the phone, they don't have a support system. They don't have right. people that genuinely believe in them. They might, but a lot of people don't. And that's why, you know, that's why they're on the call, right? And if they, and, and that's the thing too, I've learned is when you're kind of presenting someone with an, an offer for coaching, they have to believe that you can do it. Like you have something good for them, but they also have to believe that they can do their part of it and have to have some level of belief in themselves that they'll implement it the right way and that they'll be able to get it to work. And so a lot of times I'll say, you know, are you hundred percent certain this is the right thing? Now's the right time. They're like, no, this is the right time this obviously is the right program and I see how it can work and is working for a lot of people. I just don't think that I could ever, you know, sign someone up or I can be. And that's where like, you know, getting them in that state of like confidence and they believe it's something we have to kind of do and genuinely show them that they can do it. Yeah. So it's like reflecting that right back at them too. Yeah. <laughs> the three pillars there. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, cool. So a couple more questions, uh, some sure. fun stuff. Um, if you if you had a megaphone and you could reach everyone in the world right now with your words, what would you say? I would say, man, something along the lines of, you know, I was I was worshiping, listening to music last Saturday night, I think it was. And I was just kind of really in that place of like feeling very loved and very worthy and very enough. And I just feel like you can't go wrong, like the more loved you feel. I mean, obviously there could be this kind of like false excessive ego, where you, but that's obviously not genuine. Like if you feel genuinely good enough and worthy and more people felt that way and saw their truth and their value before it was taken away from them and the stories and the lies are spoken, I think everything would be better. Honestly, life, businesses, people, marriages, relationships, communities. So I would probably do something in that vein of like, 
you know, how can I use that megaphone to communicate in a way that would actually stick and land on people? They were, they would start to believe that they are good enough and worthy. Mm, I love that. That's a great answer. You are enough and you are worthy. You're worthy of it all. Was that the song you were listening to? Oh man, that was not the song I was listening to that time, but I do really like that song a lot. It's yeah. a good song. Oh man. <laughs> uh, awesome. Last question. Um, if you could have dinner with anybody in history, who would it be? Wow. That's hard to pick one. And all time human civilization. All time. I would say, what's your answer? I'm stalling so I can think. <laughs> My first answer is Marcus Aurelius. Oh, wow. That's a good one. Yeah. Just like just having like being the leader of the free like the world and just being like the most disciplined person in the world. I want to get inside that guy's brain, you know. Yeah, I mean, I would I was originally thinking Abraham Lincoln, but I would also, as you say that, I'm thinking George Washington as well. Um, mm. for I would say a couple of reasons. One would be his bravery. Mm. You know, really just that willingness to get on a horse and go right into battle and lead his troops. You know, like, I'm not afraid of death. I will fight for our country. Yeah. Um, And then the other reason I would say is kind of for his humility and lack of ego when, you know, the kings of England would reign for their entire lives. And four years into being president, the first president of the U.S., he stepped out. And he said, mm. it's time for someone else. And right. I'm, I'm curious to ask him about that because obviously, you know, having a great leader and power can be a good thing. But even if you look at some of these things like these uh, lifetime tenured uh, court justices or professors and, you know, college universities, like, is that always the best thing for someone to just kind of be locked in for life? And what can that do for someone um, in terms of their performance? So I'd be curious to kind of understand that. And, um, you know, he sounded like a cool guy, but that's, that's a great question. I mean, I'd be, that would be amazing to be able to do that. That's, that's a really cool answer. George Washington. I like that. Yeah. Cause like he could have been King of the United States or yeah, King of been, the 13 colonies or whatever. Yeah. He could have just been King. He could have uh, ruled until he died. And you know, what kind of precedent would that have set for our government? Would we then have become another monarchy um, or maybe even kind of like a false monarchy where we would have had to have a separate government like England, you know, the royal family and then the government, like, what would that have all looked like? And, you know, I think a lot of obviously the founding fathers, I know a lot of people have seen Hamilton, the the play, but when you kind of look at the story, I mean, these guys were brilliant. Um, a lot of them were like pressing it hard on Renaissance principles of, you know, true democracy, um, you know, all this type of stuff. And, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be interesting to see kind of what was different versus obviously nowadays with politics in our country. <laughs> we don't got to go down that rabbit hole. Yep. Yeah, we'll save <laughs> that for next time. <laughs> awesome. Well, Brendan, thanks so much for your time, my friend. And uh, yeah, just thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your advice. And I, I just really enjoyed this conversation. My pleasure. Same here. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If you're interested in building or scaling an online coaching business just like me, visit brendanhburns.com book and get a free one-on-one -on -one personalized coaching session to learn how to set it up. 
Again, for a free one-on-one personalized coaching session so you can have a thriving online coaching business that you can run from anywhere in the world, just like me, visit brendanhburns.com slash book to set it up. Thanks again for tuning into the show and have a great day.